Dissonance Media and the Other Stories presents Step into the abyss of After the Gloaming, a gothic fiction podcast that delves into the depths of human emotion. Unyielding love, revenge, internal struggles, and restless souls await you in nine haunting episodes where dread, fear, and rare glimpses of eerie happiness linger. Dare to listen on your favourite podcatcher? After the gloaming beckons, search now, but beware, innocence will be left behind. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. These aren't the stories your mother told you. No, these are the other stories. <laughs> Today's episode of The Other Stories is Deep Roots, written by Georgia Cook and narrated by Justin Fife. By the time he'd reached the signpost of Glassdale Village, smudged in the distance like a bad watercolor, Noah finally had to admit he was lost. It was the third time he'd passed Glassdale in two hours, down the rambling paths and netted choked ditches, and not once had he spotted anything familiar. Y'all right, lad? asked a voice. Noah turned. An old man in cap and overalls was leaning against one of the stone walls bordering the footpath, watching Noah with barely concealed suspicion. Yeah, uh, I'm looking for Amberside, said Noah, hope rising. Amberside? The man's eyebrows rose. What business you've got going there? Noah swallowed. I, um, he forced a smile. I used to live around here. The old man didn't return the smile. You don't sound like it, he said. Noah reddened. His friends back home reported twinges of Yorkshire in his Texan accent, 
Now he was back in the Dales. He'd never felt more American in his life. We moved away when I was little, he explained. To Austin. Hmm, the old man sniffed. I am beside, you say. Not up there nowadays, but trees. Uh, even so, Noah pressed. I'd like to see it. Uh, please? The man gave a one-shouldered shrug, as if Noah's time was his own to waste, and pointed over the stile into the next field, up a track so steep and overgrown that Noah had mistaken it for a badger trail, vanishing into a copse of densely woven trees at the top of the hill. Just keep following that, the old man explained. You'll find Amberside eventually. Noah flashed him an uneasy smile. He used to be less when I was a kid, he said. Trees, I mean. The old man shrugged, gave Noah a curt nod, then turned and started back the way he'd come. Noah hefted his backpack, clambered over the stile, and started up the track. The long grass brushed his boots. A chill wind whistled down the valley, tugging the drawstrings of his coat. The cops rose ahead of him. Nothing moved beyond the thickly clustered trunks. No sunlight breached the loamy darkness. A hush seemed to emanate from the trees themselves, silencing all other noises. Noah paused at the tree line, his neck prickling. Were those eyes, dark and unseen, watching from the gloom? No, stop it. He shook himself and started forward, shuffling through the underbrush to unearth the track. As he moved beyond the first layer of trees, something tugged at his ankle. He glanced down. A root had wrapped itself around his walking boot, grasping through the mossy soil. Noah kicked himself free and pressed onward. The copse was larger than it looked from the outside, or densely enough packed to make it appear so. Noah clawed through the vines and brambles, snatching branches and stinging nettles. Just as he began to suspect the old man had lied, sending him on a purposeful wild goose chase, the trees ahead began to thin. What lay beyond wasn't so much a clearing as an ease in the tangle, foliage and underbrush parting just enough to reveal what covered the forest floor. The remnants of a brick wall rose from the dirt a short distance away, reduced to a toppled L shape. Beyond that, a fallen weather vane, bent double and thick with rust, jutted towards the sky like a rotten tooth. The more Noah looked, the more he saw, until the clearing unfolded ahead of him like a forgotten puzzle box. A cluster of dwellings had stood here once, seven, maybe ten, huddled in a loose circle, their footprints just visible beneath the moss. Sticks of old furniture jutted between rotten walls, crockery and roof tiles glittered like lost jewels. Noah bit back a gasp, and then a burst of startled laughter. In the eyes of childhood memory, this clearing was a bustling hamlet. The forest had been smaller then, almost tamed, just enough to keep out the weather. No wonder he's missed it from the road. Noah's neck prickled. He turned, caught again by a sense of being watched. Had something moved between the trees? He squinted, seeing nothing but shadows and arched branches. He began to walk, following a track that might once have been a cobbled pathway, winding from one empty doorway to the next. The eye of childhood expanded until Noah was seven years old again. He remembered the smell of this place cooking and windswept grass, the crunch of leaves beneath his feet. He remembered the jeers of the other children, the air burning in his lungs as they chased him down the hillside, whooping and cheering. 
tiny life, so inconsequential and small. Emotions rose like bubbles from a deep black pond, so sharp and sudden that Noah's eyes stung. He'd hated this place. But here was no longer the place he'd hated. Its transformation made it softer, somehow, like a dangerous dog turned old, graying at the muzzle. At last, Noah found what he was looking for. In the east corner of the clearing, half swallowed by the roots of a towering oak, a cluster of bricks marked the footprint of a small cottage. Around the back, a set of overgrown stone steps led down a deep black hole in the dirt. The steps shifted beneath Noah's boots as he peered inside. The space beyond was pitch black. Most of the cellar had caved in long ago, leaving a tight, squeezed gut space just large enough for a man to crawl through. Noah shed his backpack and felt his way forward. Dirt scattered from above, making him cough. If the roof caved in now, here at the top of the hill, there would be nobody to find him. Nobody even to dig out his bones. But he was close now. He could feel it. A siren song calling across the decades. A shape rose out of the darkness, held in a tangle of tree roots that had breached the cellar wall. Noah paused, his heart pounding. It was a wooden structure, no taller than a child, half cobbled from a broken tabletop and a child's chair. It resembled a stage of sorts with a high flat back and a jutting protrusion. Hooked over the top was a crude wooden mask, patched with bracken and thick black leaves. Two marbles, one green, one blue, glinted from its mottled brow, staring blind into the darkness. The breath caught in Noah's throat, Half wonder, half vindication. The shrine. It looked exactly as he remembered it. Even here, down in the darkness, no mold had rotted the wooden face. No bugs had consumed the haphazard altar. Even the mask's leaves looked fresh. On the front of the altar sat a china dish, a saucer, taken from an identical tea set. A faint pattern of painted flowers still visible through the moss. A smell like old copper rose from the liquid inside, sharp against the loamy cellar. It glistened like spilled ink, as if set down only moments before. Noah smiled in the darkness, reaching out to touch the leaves and bramble mask. What had called him back here, after all this time? Curiosity, perhaps? A yearning to return to his birthplace? The chance to reconnect with a world that seemed so alien to him now. No, nothing so sentimental. It had crept up on him slowly, a feeling akin to leaving the tap running overnight, a gnawing uncertainty whispering in his veins until he could stand it no longer. He needed to know. He needed to make sure. Nobody knew when exactly the forest had overtaken Amberside. Slowly, people said, piece by piece, the older residents had died, the younger ones called away by the siren song of city life. It was easy to believe how many rural communities had fallen in the same way, pulled to pieces by time and changing circumstance. Noah knew better. How had he known to do it? Where had he learnt the words? His grandmother had kept what had seemed back then like a vast library, but with hindsight had probably been just a few cluttered shelves of books. Had she been the one to teach him? Guide his curious eye to the right tome? 
the right page, the right terrible world? Perhaps he needed nothing so concrete. The altar and mask and blood little more than formalities. Cups to hold the true offerings of belief and intention. He had called out to the forest, to the fields, to the dales themselves. He had called out to every small god, every spirit and fay. Make it go away. Make it all go away. And in the earth and rain and clutching roots, something had answered. Noah clambered unsteadily out of the ruined cellar. Blinking in the watery gray sunlight, he felt renewed, revitalized. A piece of the past had slotted into its proper place. A curiosity festering for thirty years finally laid to rest. With trembling hands, he retrieved his backpack and climbed up the steps to the clearing. He could go home now, catch the next train to London, then the next plane to Austin. Shadows flitted in the clearing above the steps. Noah paused. A little girl stood in the middle of the ruined square. She couldn't have been older than six or seven, her blonde hair matted with moss, her pale form oddly statue-like in its place of shifting greens. A local child? A girl from the neighboring farm, playing pretend uh, among the ruins of Amberside? Even before he reached her, Noah knew that wasn't the case. The eye of childhood remembered every face, every name, every shouting voice, and pounding footsteps. Noah lifted his chin. I'm going home, he told the little girl. You can't stop me. Shapes shifted between the trees. Tiny bodies merged out of the gloom around the clearing. Noah caught a flash of ink-black eyes and moss-matted hair. And behind them, an impression of taller figures. Adults, perhaps, or something older. Something that had waited a very long time for Noah's return. The first child to leave, the last to return. He'd offered all of Amberside in sacrifice, and then he'd left. Noah swallowed. I just wanted to leave, he continued, his voice sounding small and weak, even to his own ears. It's not my fault. What? That this had been the toll? That his family had moved away before he could take it back? Noah bolstered himself. They deserved this, all of them. He was certain of it even. It's done now, he finished, his voice rising. I, I, I paid my price. The little girl said nothing. The children between the trees said nothing. The strange twitching shapes in the deep darkness said nothing. Finally, the girl shook her head. No, she said. You didn't. The figure surged forward out of the trees, hands grasping, mouths open, teeth flashing yellow and green. Noah turned and ran, past the ruined cobbles, the skeleton houses, out from the clearing, back into the deep, dense copse. It seemed to have grown in the last half hour. There was suddenly no way through the crush, no gaps between the trees, just darkness and no track to guide him. Noah squeezed between the trunks, lost his coat to a snagging branch, his hat to a hanging bramble. His lungs burned, his eyes watered. This wasn't fair. This wasn't what he'd meant. Thirty years free from the curse he'd brought upon this place. Free from whatever he had allowed to enter Amberside. Free from paying his debt. 
A sparkle between the branches drew a gasp from Noah's lungs. Sunlight, and beyond that fields and stone walls leading down to Glossdale, to, to safety. Something snatched Noah's ankle from behind. He lost his balance and fell forward with a yell, hitting the ground with a thud that knocked the air from his lungs. A root had wrapped around his walking boot again, tighter than a drowned man's grasp, tight enough to hurt. A movement from above made Noah turn. The little girl stood over him, backlit against the sunlight. We've been waiting, she said, as the shadows around her shifted. Noah didn't bother asking what they'd been waiting for. The answer laced like veins through the meat of his life, twisting and spiraling, leading always back, back to these woods. Noah closed his eyes as the children encircled him. His backpack lay somewhere behind him, lost to the underbrush. Maybe someone would find it eventually. Maybe nobody would pass this way again, wary of the deep, dark wood, of the hill rising like a grave marker against the landscape, of whispering through the trees that might have been the wind, might have been the laughter of children. The woods were lonely. The woods were older than history, older than the hills themselves. And they never forgot a debt. I hope you enjoyed today's episode of The Other Stories. Deep Roots was written by Georgia Cook, narrated by Justin Fife, edited by Duncan Muggleton with music by Duncan Muggleton and Tom Robson, and sound effect provided by freesound.org. The episode illustration was provided by Luke Spoon of Carry On House. A quick thanks to our community managers Joshua Boucher and Jasmine Arch, and to Joshua Boucher and Karen O'Brien for helping with our submission reading. And of course to Ben Errington, the content enchanter, the content chanter, the enchanter of contents. He chants enchantments for the content to make us content. Thanks, Ben. Georgia Cook is an illustrator and writer from London. She's the winner of the LISP 2020 Flash Fiction Prize and has been shortlisted for the Bridport Prize, Staunch Book Prize, and Reflex Fiction Award, among others. She can be found on Twitter at, at Georgia Cooked and on her website, georgiacookwriter.com. Justin Fife is a voice actor and podcaster. You can follow him on Twitter at, at @justinb5. The Other Stories is a production of the Story Studio Hawk and Cleaver and is brought to you with a Creative Commons attribution, non-commercial, no derivatives license. That means don't change it, don't sell it, but by all means share the hell out of it. So, until next time. 
Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.